reason I'd done it, the immediate cause, was listening to these two utter bellends in philosophy <laughs> men. And I can say this sort of thing now because I'm never going to go back into philosophy. Middle-aged professors going on on Facebook with a huge audience of other philosophers just saying Judy Bindle's mental, basically. I'm Kathleen Stock. And I'm Julie Bindle. And this is the Lesbian Project podcast, all the sapphic traffic for anyone who wants a bit more lesbian in their life. What are you up to? What have you been up to? I've been up to all sorts and actually I've been complaining my way around Tuscany for the weekend. I just came back a couple of days ago. <laughs> I know. I mean, right, look, for some. It, look, okay, two things. First of all, Tuscany mm-hmm. is the West Yorkshire of Italy in that because I lived in West Yorkshire I lived in Leeds many of my friends live in Leeds still um I was but you don't mean that in a good way though do you no no I don't I was honestly meaning the kind of doer what I call a no culture um could I have this can you buy matches in this shop no is this shop open no oh I I see through this entrance no everything is a no culture and it's so West Yorkshire And I don't know. I mean, I just find it really, oh, it's too in the countryside. There's no phone signal. It's a nightmare to get online. I had Zooms to do. (laughs) So that's one thing. And the other thing was... Can I just ask, before you go on, can I ask, like, um, do you think it's a no culture generally or is it just a no culture to really annoying Brits who have colonised Tuscany? Okay, that's a really good question. I think it's a no culture generally. And actually... Mm. The Brits that have colonised Tuscany, they only colonise it four to six weeks of the year in the summer, okay? So they will go in the school summer holidays and it's a nightmare. All you can hear is screaming upper middle class kids splashing around in swimming pools or people in restaurants trying to speak Italian and it's embarrassing. But the the way that I see it... But when you go, it's completely different. Totally (laughs) Totally different because <laughs> I don't put a foot wrong. I mean, obviously, you know, the food is just from heaven and it leaves French cuisine standing. Italian food is so, what did, so much better. Did you eat anything good? Did you eat anything I, good? I did. I just had one meal out. I was just there for a short time. I was with my family. It was a family birthday. We went to a restaurant, Buca San Antonio in Luca, which is a lovely city. And I had just the finest finest pasta known to humanity with just the tiniest dressing of sauce how it's supposed to be not drowned with a big pile of minced horrible unidentified meat that you get in some italian restaurants in the uk but very very nice but like i say it's just doer and very west yorkshire so i'm very pleased to be back it's a, a 20th anniversary this week, or last week, was it last week? For you, an important one, mm. um, isn't it? So this is, I believe, the 20th anniversary since you published, or at least it was published in The Guardian, an article that you were commissioned to write a column, um, which pretty much destroyed your life in some ways, didn't it, for a while, um. would you say? I think it definitely sent my career off into a different path. Let's say it was a sliding Mm. doors moment. And the Mm. column that I wrote was an opinion piece for Guardian Weekend magazine. And I just decided to leave um, 
academia. I was a researcher at a university and which I hated. I hated working in the university, the most unhappy time um, I can remember and thought, this is great. I've been writing. I've been doing op-eds. I've been out to Jamaica to investigate female sex tourism, which was the first time it had been done. It, it, it won some awards and got some great accolades. And I thought, well, this is really good. I'll just be a journalist. So I was given lots of work by The Guardian and Catherine Viner, who edited Weekend magazine at the time. She's now, of course, editor in chief of The Guardian and Observer. She said to me, um, you know, why don't you do a few weeks while Julie Burchill, that well-known controversial writer, is, is away on holiday and tell me what you've got. And, you know, I gave her a couple of ideas and one was complaining about spoiled middle-class children in Crouch End, where I live, or Kushan, as it's known. <laughs> One for the or, ages. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or Couch End, because there's so many therapists that live here. But anyway, <laughs> she was a bit worried about the controversy around that. And the, the one that, no, seriously, <laughs> she said, we absolutely will get hell for that. Um, <laughs> and I was referring to Crouch End as Nappy Valley, and, you know, I was just very rude. Oh, my God. God, just think a sliding doors moment where you could have ended up having your life absolutely ruined by uh, Waitrose going, Crouch Enders. But well, you probably did, actually. But actually, I I, that there. one was published. That one did run. And this is the irony of it. The only thing that happened to me after I, uh, after the um, Nappy Valley piece was published was I was told to leave Starbucks one Sunday morning. <laughs> That must have been very difficult for you. <laughs> because I was actually trying to order a coffee while standing behind a woman who was saying, darling, to little Imogen or Chloe, darling, would you like a baby whoppy whoppy chino? And it went on and on and on. And the child clearly was too young to make a decision. So I said, look, please give the child a baby chino and let me order my coffee because I've got, I'm in a rush. And she looked at me. She recognised me from the byline photograph. And effectively, I was told it was a child-friendly place and I was asked to leave. Now, compare that to what happened when the following week, my mm. Gender Benders Beware column was published. Yes, and let's just stress that you did not choose that title, did you? Because you never get a choice over the headlines. So someone, Kathleen probably chose that. I don't know who it was. It could have been the senior sub-editor at the Weekend magazine. It certainly wasn't me. And it was a It bit was signed off by the editor, obviously. Of course it was. And it wasn't signed off, but we don't get to sign off our columns unless we ask for copy approval, which I sometimes do if I write for certain newspapers that might have quite outlandish, we call mm. it furniture, around your words. There might be a photograph that's inappropriate. Mm. For example, if you've written about prostitution and they have the usual photograph of the woman in the fishnet in the car so so sometimes you ask for copy approval but I had no reason to ask for copy approval um from the Guardian I trusted it completely it's a good newspaper and yeah my column was about the outrageousness of what had happened to Vancouver Rape Relief a brilliant feminist center in Canada that advocated for victims of male violence, sexual assault, domestic abuse, childhood sexual abuse, trauma related to male violence. 
and also campaigned and lobbied to change laws where there were failing women who'd experienced men's violence. Just the best, best outfit you can imagine. And I'd heard that they'd been th put through by that time years of litigation by the their human rights um, NGO. So a little bit like Liberty here in the UK on behalf of a man called Kimberly Nixon, who identified as a trans woman who had insisted on being trained on their volunteer programme as a counsellor for rape victims. When he was told very gently and courteously, no, that wouldn't be appropriate. You would very mm. likely be read as a man by women who were traumatised. This is a women-only service. He obviously had the human rights lawyers waiting in the wings. It was a test case. It was a vexatious test case. Put them through hell. So I wrote this piece. And in 2004, obviously the issue of transsexuality, as it was known, wasn't particularly prominent at all. The Gender Recognition Act was about to be passed, which would give trans people certain legal rights, which, of course, well, not of course, but just to say I approved of, for example, having documentation, which means you don't get stopped going through an airport um, thinking that you, you've stolen somebody else's passport of the opposite sex. Just things that you can't be sat from your job, discriminated against because of your transsexual status, all of which I approved of. So I suppose the lobby was just a kind of gentle ripple wanting to push through decent reg regulation. Anyway, I, I because it's my style, I made a few jokes in the um, in the column, mm -hmm. one of which was they were looking... Good. Well, thank you. I mean, I was looking at, at the fact that if trans... If a, a trans woman adopts sex stereotype behavior and clothing, that that seems to me to entrench and embed harmful gender stereotypes. Same with a, a trans man, the kind of muscles and tattoos and macho behavior. And I said, imagine a world inhabited just by transsexuals. It would look like the set of Greece. And of course, it, you know, it offended some people, as did me saying, cutting off your meat and two veg, you know, it doesn't make you a woman. And, and was there not something about sticking a hose down the front of your trousers? I think I, a hoover? Yes, I think that, you know, in terms of, of women who wanted to identify as men, that sticking a, a vacuum cleaner hose down your 501s doesn't make you a man. <laughs> so, you know, the language was a bit crude, but... It, yeah, because it was supposed to be, let's just stress that Julie Burr was writing that slot and was doing all sorts of outrage stuff perfectly happily, uh, as she does. And and I think you, you should also stress that um if you take if you take away gender benders beware, which was the headline, and then you take away the caricature that they added, again without your full knowledge, this absolutely savage a caricature which they added to the column of a transsexual or trans woman looking you know ghastly with a big badge saying i'm a lady is that right was because I'm it a, was a I'm riff a, i'm a lady or something it like was that. it was a riff on little britain the the sketch within the comedy series little britain by david williams mm -hmm. and matt lucas and they had quite an offensive i mean all of their sketches pretty much were offensive that was the point of it they had a parody of mm -hmm. a a trans person, a, a trans woman, um, who would mince around with a, a, a parasol and wearing ridiculous kind of Victorian frills saying, I'm a lady. Mm -hmm. And so, so yeah, it was a deeply um, offensive illustration 
that I had no control over. It also didn't match mm -hmm. my words. It was inappropriate. I was making some really serious points about sex stereotypes that this did not contribute to. And the heading, gender benders beware. I mean, we, you know, I grew up as a young lesbian through the 1980s where we looked gender, well, in the 70s, we looked gender bending because it was glam yeah. rock and it was yeah. men wearing makeup, having long hair and, you know, ridiculous kind of flared jeans. So gender bending mm. is good, right? If if you take yeah. it at face value. So it's hard to... I mean, it's hard to say whether you would have had an easier time if they hadn't done that to you, if they hadn't added that title and they hadn't added that caricature, because I think people would have still found it offensive that you made jokes yes, about they would. Greece or whatever. They but would. I definitely think that they were absolutely primed to find it outrageous because of things that were done by people at The Guardian that you had no idea about. Mm -hmm. And this makes what happened next, and the, particularly the way that The Guardian has subsequently treated you, basically for that article... Um, even worse, uh, mm. uh, I think. Anyway, let's get to yeah. what actually happened. Well, it was instant. The following day, it was published on a Saturday, and the following day um, I was alerted to the fact that many message boards, which was the kind of old social media, that uh, it was, I, I don't know how to describe it. Can you? You're 10 years younger than me. You should be able to. <laughs> a message board is... It's like a website where people can, it's like a forum, isn't it? Like a listserv or something like that. Yeah, a listserv where people who are like-minded or who have something in common or want to talk to each other about particular issues, meet up, join up. Mm. And apparently these message boards, including one called Ginger Beer, which was supposed to be for lesbians, but had been invaded by loads of men claiming to be lesbians, calling themselves trans women, trans mm. lesbians, were on fire with Bindle the Bigot, this is terrible. She's caused the death of trans people. Um, I mean, it, it went stratospheric immediately. Mm. I, I did. Mm. I did keep some of the kind of blogs that were written um, in the the immediate aftermath. And the Guardian was um, soon to be in receipt of, I think it was more than two hundred emails and letters of complaint from mm -hmm. definitely from an organised lobby, but also from individuals saying. This is just outrageous, dehumanizing an already abused, um, vulnerable community. So mm. the Guardian is the only newspaper that has what's called a reader's editor. And that reader's editor looks after the interests of readers when they wish to make a complaint or to correct an inaccuracy. So it's a very good thing, I think. And the reader's editor at the time was a kind of quite traditional old school journalist called Ian Mays, who decided to write his column on this issue. I mean, who can blame them? It was the biggest kerfuffle that The Guardian had seen since one of their um, editors wrote a column blaming the victims of the September the 11th bombing uh, for what had happened to them, chickens coming home to roost style of, of column, which was pretty disgusting. Mm. But anyway, it defended its... Um, itself whilst pointing the finger at me again I was the journalist that's fine Catherine Viner rigorously defended me she said that my voice was interesting on this issue because I'm a lesbian and a feminist who's always fought for the rights of lesbians and other marginalized groups the column ran mm -hmm. Which some people contacted me and said, "Oh, I'm really glad he picked out the best bits to repeat <laughs> as the kind of examples of how offensive it was." So the set of Greece was in there, and the meat and two veg bit was in there. 
And after that, um, all was fine at Guardian Towers. They didn't change towards me at all. Um, things started to build up, though, in that every time I went to speak at a public event, there were groups of trans people shouting and heckling. It built up to the point of where, when I was nominated for Journalist of the Year, uh, the Stonewall Awards, mm. that there was a huge 200-strong demonstration against me at the event at the Victorian Albert Museum. And um, I was due to get the award, and I didn't because Stonewall told the judges that it could finish them. Catherine Viner came with so me. Just to be clear about that, you think that um, there was some interference with the judging? Oh, no, I know there was. Uh, one of the judges told me that they'd been told I had the most votes, which was a public vote, not an internal to Stonewall, not Stonewall members vote, right. but public. I'd written so much stuff on lesbian lives, culture, oppression, mm -hmm. campaigning, mm -hmm. and I was the only le out lesbian journalist with a national And this profile. would have been, although we all love to hate Stonewall these days because they are a travesty of an organisation. At this point, it would have been a real feather in your cap and would have really, you know, been something that would you'd have really wanted, I assume, wouldn't it? Well, put it this way, I deserved it. Um, I'm in two minds about awards for the arts. Uh, I'm, I'm not a big... I've never, ever submitted um, anything of my own to, to the usual kind of um, lists and awards. It's not particularly my cup of tea, neither was Stonewall, but I absolutely deserved mm. it. And it would have been far better than actually being denied the award. And then what happened next? And, and the of... person that got it, sorry, just to say the person who got it was Miriam Stoppard, that well-known gay icon, uh, agony aunt, <laughs> totally yeah. straight. She was totally straight. And so they obviously cobbled together some nonsense. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was yeah. outrageous. But... Um, you know, things didn't really change at The Guardian for me very much. I carried on writing right across the paper. I had a Guardian email address. I was asked to go and help them judge awards and prizes and choose people for internships. So I was pretty embedded in the newspaper. And I was um, offered a column, which was then rescinded because that same year, the National Union of Students had added me to their list of no platformed people. I was the only individual, the first individual. I think there were five fascist groups that were no platformed, but the NUS wouldn't share a platform with them. And I became the first individual. And they really, really, mm. really started coming after me after that. It was, it was hell. And they just harassed the Guardian. They harassed every section editor that commissioned me. The offer of the column was rescinded and I was told that they would definitely reinstate that offer as soon as things died down. Here we are, Kathleen, mm. 2024. Yeah. yeah, and in the meantime, they've, under Kath Viner, they've participated in creating the culture, contributing to this culture, exacerbating this culture of no platforming by a constant stream of articles which make out that views like yours and views like mine are indeed dangerous, harmful, should be uh, suppressed, and it's not a matter of free speech and all that. They have totally colluded in that. Yes. And they've blacklisted you from some places, haven't they? They blacklisted me uh, across the paper. And 
I occasionally write for The Observer. It's a different editorial. But the only section that they haven't blacklisted me from is the obituary section, and I'll tell you why. Because when an elderly feminist, lesbian feminist of note dies, I'm mm. the only journalist that is likely to have met her mm -hmm. um, and definitely would have heard her speak and definitely would have read mm. her work. Yeah. So I write all the dead lesbian stroke feminist obituaries. But what then happened a couple of years ago was I wrote an obituary for a brilliant woman, a musician who set up the Michigan Women's Music Festival that the trans lobby eventually shut down through their bullying. A women only space that was, I mean, not my bag, but, you know, a great, great space uh, for women from all over the states and beyond to go to. Alex Dobkin. And... Mm -hmm. She, she was a brilliant woman. I'd met her. I'd been in her company. I was so honoured to get the commission to write her obituary. She was a great feminist, hated gender ideology. And then a little bird told me that after it was published, the, um, the bearded man on the music desk went to the obituaries and said, you shouldn't have commissioned that transphobe <sighs> to write that. We have lots of queer women on the paper that could have done it. And Alex Dobkin hated transgender ideology, but he tried to get me bumped even from the obituaries. The, obituaries. So, I mean, the Guardian's done for... Look, I mean, I, I've i really... You know, I really liked Catherine Viner. We were friends. We were personal friends. Um, I credit her with getting me into journalism. She gave me some great breaks, and she mm -hmm. was a great feminist and fantastic to work with. She took over the Guardian. They came after her harder because she's a woman, and she made her choice. And that was her sliding doors, you know, this way or that way. Yeah. And she yeah. took, she made her choice. And I think it's immoral. I think it's corrupt. There's been lots of women who've been driven out of that newspaper, some of whom we've heard about, Suzanne Moore, Hadley uh, Freeman, but others that we haven't actually heard about. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's appalling. It's, it's beyond, it's yeah. unforgivable that they, yeah. they have gone that route. So when you look back on that moment, your sliding doors moment, do you um, regret it? Absolutely not. And it's easy for me to say that because they were out to get me for something. The, the men's rights lobby, the misogynists, and that's all the extreme trans activists are. They just mm -hmm. hate women. They hate feminism. They already hated me. They were already after me. Pink News was already slating me. Um, on a regular basis I think it was called the pink paper then mm. because I spoke out about men's violence and I put the blame on them and I said this is about misogyny stop looking at the victims let's look at the men and so I was already unpopular amongst that lot and mm. you're not ever going to be liked if you're a feminist who isn't the fun kind so something was going to come for me what I regret is the behavior of the liberals so the liberals had always been on the side of feminists, even extreme ones like me, mm -hmm. or rather uncompromising ones, I'm not extreme, but uncompromising feminists. The liberals always had our backs when things happened like Fathers for Justice, Families Need Fathers, those men's rights groups that wore superhero costumes and jumped from the top, well, didn't jump, unfortunately, stood on the top of high buildings, <laughs> protesting their kids being taken away from them because they'd you know, abused their mother. The Liberals would see what was happening and they would actually support the feminists speaking out about mm -hmm. this. 
same with my work with Justice for Women, where women who've had to defend themselves against extreme male violence have been incarcerated for life. We've campaigned to show how, how outrageous that is. The Liberals have stood with us. What the Liberals did with the trans issue, and we've all been done over by this, is that they sided with the trans activists because they yeah. had it in their heads that it, this was a continuation of the lesbian and gay rights movement. And they probably hadn't done much to pull their weight during that time. And so they mm -hmm. just thought this was more. And then as soon as, of course, they saw the bullying, harassment and viciousness, um, they then became too cowardly, in my view, to then say, yeah. hang on a minute, what's this about? It also, for the Liberals, um, that is, you know, I, I presume you mean like the average kind of centrist. Yes. Uh, Centre-left, potentially Blairite person or 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 further left even because i think most labor voters are liberals these days in fact most people are liberals these days because that's just the, the air we breathe in but they also have this big um for want of a better word hard on for um self-actualization don't they yes you know it's just part of the liberal vision that you get to be your authentic self and that's what they really liked about the get lesbian and gay story as well is that they it was like this inner thing that came bursting out and um you know you were really being yourself and they were and everyone has become obsessed with finding out who they really are inside and all that so because that was just such an enormously strong narrative they could apply it so easily to trans people if, if you assume gender identity is like really inside you they also mm. apply it to sex workers work pretty much that's right and surrogacy um, yeah like choice 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 mm. if you want to do that why shouldn't you etc so right. um they were they were never going to help uh, push back against this stuff they're no. just absolutely useless in this area and pretty much every other area politically these days you're absolutely right and i think that occasionally something comes along some issue comes along that really confuses a lot of people and they choose mm -hmm. not to engage with it. And I understand that and we all do it and we should be allowed to do that. But mm -hmm. when they see the bullies come after feminists and women that are just speaking out about something that directly affects us and harms us and they don't mm -hmm. say, come on, this isn't fair, because it is about mm -hmm. basic fairness, isn't it? Then mm -hmm. I, I, I despise their cowardice. Yeah, I also think there's a lot of... Um... I wouldn't say active misogyny, even in ordinary people, but there is a kind of where there's smoke, there's fire thing. Like if you don't pay much attention and you see somebody getting a lot of kind of disapproval in the press, it's easy if you're not that invested, you're not paying attention to think, well, they're probably just an unpleasant person. They probably deserved it. And actually right. just go along with it until one day you wake up and think, shit, <laughs> I know. she was talking sense all along. But you and know, you're right. Like, I mean, I didn't ever think you were an unpleasant person because I just actually somehow, well, I was having babies in 2004 and five, so that's what was happening, but I wasn't paying any attention whatsoever to anything because so I was lost in a fog of uh, sleeplessness and uh, um, anyway, let's not get into that. But um, <laughs> but the point is... Oh, please, let's. Uh, no. <laughs> the lost years uh, when I was on a mum's net forum. <laughs> but... Um, but the point is that when I did become aware of it, um, it was a lot later, but then I could see, and you know, I wrote a thing. I mean, it was one of the very earliest contacts I had with you is because I wrote a piece in defense of you and I, and I quoted bits from that piece and I put it out as a personal blog. And what the reason I'd done it 
the immediate cause was listening to these two utter felons in philosophy <laughs> men and I can say this sort of thing now because I'm never going to go back into philosophy one of them cis one of them trans but both of them men <laughs> mm. and uh middle-aged professors going on on Facebook with a huge audience of other philosophers just saying Judy Bindle's mental basically god she's you know and these I mean, the one of at least one of these people is pretty mental himself. But anyway, Julie B Bindle is mental, um, and was citing your position on prostitution and citing your position on trans. And I was thinking, but what is wrong with those positions? There's nothing wrong with those positions. And actually, she's really brave. And then I went and looked you up properly and realised that you had been working on behalf of women, you know, out there on the front lines for so long. And these twats are just sitting there, kvetching away. So it made me so angry. That I wrote this piece in your defence, and in, and the final line was to tell them to fuck off, basically. Uh, I love I love you for that. And my actually, finest bit of prose. <laughs> you have just used three of my favourite words all in one rant. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the influence you've had on me, Julie. <laughs> no, but seriously, <laughs> twats and bellends, twats, bellends, and fetching. Brilliant. Could not yeah. get. <laughs> I saw that. I saw your blog, and I thought. Who is this woman? I love her. It was brilliant. <laughs> it was and it secretly really... a love letter to you, basically. I was just I, like, I took pick it. me, pick me. I took it. I have it. I hold it to my heart. Because yeah. I read it and I loved the bit where you said, when I first read that column in 2004, I thought, well, this is a bit odd. This is a bit strange. I don't really know what's going on here. But then it Yeah, I was obviously lying because I don't think I did read it in 2004. <laughs> but, I, no. you know, I was vaguely aware of something or other. Because there was others. There was Suzanne Moore mm. um, also wrote a column where she was talking about Brazilian transsexuals, wasn't Ooh. she, or something? 2013, I, mean, I remember it well. That's when Julie base... Virtual defended us both. God help oh, us. Yeah. God help us, that column in the Observer where she defended me and Suzanne. We went to sleep that night knowing that we weren't in. <laughs> yeah, that made just say, worse. Suzanne and I didn't go to sleep together that night. We texted each other saying, oh my God, Virtual's <laughs> defending us in tomorrow's Observer. Yeah, but... um. I my point in that thing I wrote was just that like one of the ways in which it shows the misogyny is that you're not allowed to be funny mm. <laughs> as a woman are you I mean you've got a brilliant writing style it's very um colorful ribald it's full of like very vivid vivid funny imagery and it, it's entertaining to read and that's not what's the norm for female writers who are supposed to be serious and careful and sensitive mm. and I hope you don't take that the wrong way I'm not saying you're insensitive but I not just think all. that like part of the joy of that article and Suzanne's is that like it's actually got balls <laughs> quite literally <laughs> <laughs> well don't think that having a pair of balls makes you a man now look no, I mean it's I all I, I would I would say it's all water under the bridge but it's not it's an actual tsunami that's still happening but look at, mm. look at what's happened I mean I have met some of the most amazing women and men who show their character by saying, oh, my God, I realise this is just utter bullshit and I'm not having it and risked their jobs and lost their jobs, actually. And and even mm -hmm. those women that you would never have come across because their politics or their take on feminism or whatever is so different that, you know, you're not necessarily hanging out in the same tribe. My tribe has expanded so widely and I am very very pleased about that and yeah. and actually fuck them yeah 